0: My name is Savannah, and I joined Jacob at the Pro-Life Team podcast, and today we talked about a lot. We covered a lot of ground, what's going on here in the state of Ohio, how we step back and even use our adversaries, playbook, uh, dreaming about how we continue to build a culture of life. I'm excited for you to hear our conversation. Um.
1: So Savannah, I'm excited to have you on the Pro Life Team podcast. Would you introduce yourself as if you are speaking to a group of pricey Clinic leaders um, from different parts of the country, or from you know beyond Ohio, perhaps?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Savannah, and I've actually been working in the pro life movement since um, 2010. Um, so really almost my whole adult life has been, um, within the, um, pro-life work. I come from a very pro-life family. Um, and, you know, just can even remember, um, my mom and my dad just talking about the importance of, um, God creating life and the implications of that. So I feel like while I may have uh, strayed away from it for a season. Um, it's not surprising to me that my life has kind of come back to um, this important and critical work. And when you say, you know, as if you're talking to pro life leaders across the, uh, the country and other people that are in this work, first of all, I'm humbled. Uh, you know, I think anytime I get to chat with, even if it's virtually and, you know, uh, in a platform like this with uh, pro life leaders, the movement is bright because of the leaders that are in it. Um, and so it's my honor. Um, I currently am uh, an executive director of a pro-life organization called Belavita Network. Uh Belavita houses uh Soul Purpose, which is a national outreach to women on college campuses. And kind of the gist of Soul Purpose is what if we believed uh, God could restore women on college campus in a way that not only would they never walk through the doors of an abortion facility they don't have to walk through the doors of a pregnancy center either and so it's very identity driven how do we go to the source of where um you know college campuses are a dark place right now And so how do we go into those dark places and meet these college women at such critical times and really speak identity and value and worth. And the gist of it is um, Psalm 119 says, how do the young stay on the path of purity by living according to God's word? So let's go onto college campuses and raise these women up to know God's word and to believe it for themselves and for uh, the women that are around them. Um, we also have a pregnancy center And we have a standalone after abortion care location that is actually, it shares a driveway with our abortion clinic uh, here in town. And so we believe that Jesus is just as present at the back door of an abortion facility as he is at the front door. Um, We also have a vibrant outreach to those who work at the abortion facility there. Um, I'm a huge fan of pregnancy centers. You will be hard pressed to find a bigger uh, supporter and advocate of pregnancy centers. So, I also have the privilege of leading the Ohio Coalition of Pregnancy Centers. So, 123 pregnancy centers here in the great state of Ohio. And then, recently, have stepped on to the National um, Coalition for uh, Pregnancy Center uh, here in um, the US as the Midwest um, Regional Coordinator. I'm on the founding board. So, Um, I do pro-life work in my sleep. I eat, sleep, and breathe
1: (laughs) pro-life work. Wow. Very, very awesome. Yeah, you're involved in such exciting and interesting areas. Um, And wow. And thank you for all you do and just, yeah, for your, like, your uh, complete passion for being connected and, well, serving in such a great capacity. Um, So tell us about what has what has transpired in Ohio when it comes to the, the laws, uh, what, what has taken place?
0: Yeah. So Ohio, um, just went through an constitutional amendment, uh, battle. Um, and so unfortunately here in, um, the United States, we are zero for seven, um, in, uh, constitutional ballot initiatives since the overturning of roe, and Ohio was really a a bit different so we saw in twenty twenty three uh twenty twenty two kind of a onslaught of both pro life states attempting to introduce pro life constitutional um amendments and then uh states like Michigan who introduced um you know abortion um, as a freedom, constitutional uh, amendments, and uh, we've lost in every single one of those. Uh, everyone was really, I think, holding their breath to see what would happen in Ohio for two reasons. First of all, Ohio is a pretty red state. Um, and uh, second of all, if they could win in Ohio, um, we heard from the um, pro-abortion Uh, side that they would go no holds bar in 2024. And so they have 11 states kind of in their target to introduce constitutional ballot initiatives. Um, And Ohio really gave them uh, the wind in their sails. And so um, in November, um, Ohio voters voted to put uh, reproductive quote, unquote, health care um, as a protected right into the Ohio Constitution. Um, it's interesting because one of the things that we heralded and said over and over and over again is that this would have the ability to wipe pro-life laws off the books. And people said that we were crazy and that would never happen and that's not their intention. Um, well, something very interesting happened last week. Yeah, last week in the state of Michigan, who passed their constitutional ballot uh, initiative, their constitutional abortion amendment, one year prior. Um, last Wednesday, I think, uh, right before Thanksgiving, uh, their governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, signed the Reproductive um, Freedom, Healthcare Freedom Act. And it repeals every single pro-life law off the books in the state of Michigan, and so the very mm. thing that we said would happen is now happening, and no one's batting an eye at it. You know, in fact, I don't think any major news picked up um, uh, Gretchen Whitmer's stroke of her her pen, and so while we haven't seen the total effects of that happening here in Ohio. We believe that Michigan waited until after Ohio's ballot um, constitutional ballot uh, issue was passed because they didn't want to give any leverage um, to what we were saying or any credence to what we're saying. And so the language is really scary. You know, it it states that individuals have the right to their own reproductive health care. Individuals in a legal uh, term. Doesn't have any age restriction. And so it definitely opens the door for minors in the state of Ohio um, to have abortions without parental consent. Um, It also, the one difference between the Ohio ballot initiative and the Michigan was in Michigan, their language said that the state would not, shall not put any undue burdens on an individual seeking reproductive health care. Here in Ohio, it just said, the state shall not burden. So they removed the word undo, which, which legally says you can't put a, an obscene amount of burden. You can't overburden. In Ohio, our constitution will now say as of next week that the state cannot burden. And if Michigan could repeal all of their laws under undue burden, what is that going to mean for Ohio? And so You know, while it hasn't gone into effect yet, um, and we definitely haven't seen the repercussions of that, that decision, we will be dealing with the repercussions of this for not only years, but decades to come.
1: Wow. So. This is such a serious and grave thought of, you know, just like, you know, that we here we are celebrating that roads were overturned and now state constitutions are enshrining uh abortion in such a, in a yeah, such a accessible way.
0: Yeah, and I think um, we have to be able to step back and allow the gravity and the weight to hit us and I'm totally with you, like I absolutely rejoice that row is no longer in place. Like my children and my grandchildren will be able to grow up without that being law of the land. Like we should absolutely celebrate. And I don't think that we, we can still celebrate that and have a sober mindset about what is happening it doesn't one is not they're not mutually exclusive however the one thing that the abortion industry and pro-abortion advocates have always had on us is that they have a playbook and every time something happens it's like they open up to page 100 and they know exactly what they're going to do and it feels like from a pro-life standpoint, you know, it feels like we don't have a very deep playbook. And the playbook that we have, it's, we're losing. Like we literally (laughs) keep losing in every situation. And so, you know, I'm not disheartened. I'm not discouraging. I think people might be listening going like, Wow, this feels really hopeless or discouraging. I am not hopeless. I'm not discouraged. I am sober minded. I think that we have to be honest about the fact that we have just lost seven times in a row. And we have to be brave enough to step back and go, we're not winning. The strategy that we're using right now is not working. And i may I may be biased, um but I have a lot of friends that are saying the same thing. I am emphatically convinced that the answer is pregnancy center work because before we clearly are seeing that the voters are voting pro choice. They're voting to put abortion in our our state constitutions. We need to change the minds and the hearts of our communities before we go after some of these legal things. And I think that the work that pregnancy centers are doing in their local communities are absolutely the answer and the strategy for how, not only how do we change the hearts and the minds of women who are looking for abortions, but how do we change the hearts and minds of people that are sitting in church pews? You don't lose in seven states without the church showing up and voting or not showing up and voting at all.
2: Yeah.
1: So as you, as you think about what's happening, is it is it, do you find that it's hard to step back and evaluate the gravity when you're like in the middle of one battle after another, or as you try and step back, you know, how do you, reflect on you know why why don't we have a deeper playbook um and maybe that's a matter of we I feel like we're constantly in these battles and we don't have some of the depth when it comes to the um the, the preparation for fighting different scenarios
0: yeah i think you know if we sat down and talked to you know, the the people on the other side, they would probably say the same thing, like they feel like they're constantly fighting battles. So I don't know that the and not that I not that I think that you're saying it is excuse. Um, I don't think that we can fall back on, well, we're fighting all these battles. And so we don't have time to kind of like, put our head up and like, look at what's next. I think that they would say the same thing, like they're constantly fighting battles um but they've taken time to be strategic and to pull away and so i think that the re- like you just have to do it um and it's something that here within our organization we have a very strong value for um stepping back and evaluating if things are working and i think so, and, and this is not even just pregnancy center work or pro life work i think it's kind of ministry as a whole like we start doing something and then we just like keep like we keep doing it forever and ever and ever without ever stepping back and saying is this still is this still the thing that's going to change as many hearts and minds is this still and sometimes I think that we're afraid so we have a saying that there's no such thing as a sacred cow like And I tell my team all the time, like, go cow tipping, like if you can come to me and tell me and give me the data on why we should stop doing this thing, or why we should start doing another thing, then like, yes, let's take the risk and see, you know, how we can maneuver this. Like, I remember when the heartbeat bill was going in effect in Ohio, and two years before it actually became law I was in a meeting with my staff at our pregnancy center and I said if the heartbeat bill this is 2 years in advance if the heartbeat bill goes into effect there will never be another um, meaningful ultrasound inside of a pregnancy center because if you can't have an abortion after 6 weeks a 6 weeks or less ultrasound is not a meaningful ultrasound to an abortion minded woman and so I said to my team What are we going to do when there's no such thing as a meaningful ultrasound inside of a pregnancy center? It probably felt a little sacrilegious to talk about the ultrasound as a not meaningful experience in a pregnancy center. If you have spent more than five minutes around a pregnancy center, you know that the ultrasound service is, that's the like baby, all puns intended, (laughs) of what we do. But we have to be willing to go, well, what if that doesn't work anymore? Like, what if that's actually not the thing that is, um, you know, it's like giving ourselves permission to honor that it has worked in the past. Like the data shows us that for like generations, for decades, that has been a meaningful way to help change a woman's mind. Um, But just because it was that doesn't mean it will always be that. And so I think we have to be brave enough to go, man, praise God that that has worked really well. Um, But what if it doesn't work anymore?
1: Yeah, and I I think the new, well, the largest new battlefront is with the abortion pill, turning, Mm -hmm. turning someone's bathroom into the abortion clinic essentially and 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 people are yeah ordering these pills from well online, having them shipped um and the ultrasound yeah the it, ultrasound they need an ultrasound obviously or they need medical services or they need to have rapport, but what happens when someone bypasses that and by order by essentially self medicating or you know pr- buying their buying their medication but by the abortion pill online and and then they're told to go to the ER if there's an emergency and to say they're having a miscarriage. So like yeah, things have changed drastically from you know the ultrasound was key for a long time. And I would still say it's very important. But well, the new the new battlefront is is more virtual with people buying the abortion pills online and then leveraging the, uh, the emergency room experience Absolutely. as a backup.
0: Absolutely. You know, and I'm not saying like pregnancy centers should wheel their ultrasound machine, you know, outside and throw it in the garbage. Like, you know, no. I'm, not advocating. <laughs> I'm not advocating for that. But I think, so we're looking at the, the abortion industry right now that has made significant changes to their methodology in the past two to three years. I mean, that is how quickly they are adapting. If we think that the same methods for reaching abortion minded women that we were using in 1990 and 2013 are somehow going to work in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five? Like I don't, I don't know how you could possibly make that make sense. I was looking at the Ohio um, induced abortion report. So our health department in Ohio every single year puts out a report that is, you know, I mean, hundreds of sheets of paper of data. Um, you know, and I think if we're not using that as part of our research inside of our organizations, like there's critical information and data that's on that. And essentially those are the people that we're missing. Like these companies that are, you know, multi-million and multi-billion dollar companies, like they use data for both the people that are consuming and the people that are not consuming in order to make decisions about how we move forward and so if we're not using things like the induced abortion reports from our state health departments to help us make decisions those are the people that we either didn't see or we did see them and they still chose to have an abortion and one of the very last things that the ohio induced abortion report reports out on is the type of counseling that that woman received prior to having her abortion so in 2022 there were roughly like 18,000 abortions in the state of Ohio. And um only 11,000 of that 18,000 received medical counseling. So that means <laughs> that there are thousands of women in Ohio who had abortions that received no medical counseling prior to their abortion. Only 3,000 of the 18,000 received any sort of social service counseling. So no one said, oh, you need housing, we could help you get housing. Would you rather us help you try and find housing or have an abortion? And so like you just said, these women not only Are they having their abortions in their home? They're being robbed of, first of all, informed consent. Like we hear our society screaming about how important informed consent is, but these numbers are are dropping where these women are not receiving any sort of of care, any sort of counseling. And that's a place where the pro-life movement can show up in such a big way to provide medical counseling, social service counseling. And what we're seeing at our center is that that is actually what is changing their minds. And so, yes, we have to be looking at it virtually, and we have to be looking at where is the abortion clinic missing it? And where can we step in and provide and advertise some of those services, if they're not going to provide it, then we should provide it. And we should be advertising it in a way that says, hey, these are not services that you're going to be able to get an abortion provider. Before you go through with this decision, you know, here's where you can get medical counseling. Here's where you can get. And so you're absolutely right. We have to be able to think about what does abortion look like for a woman in 2024? And how do we create strategies and services to meet her in that place.
1: Hmm. So uh, it's interesting that you reflected a a bit ago about how the abortion industry changed over two to three years with drastic changes, uh, essentially before Dobbs, uh, because they saw that they were, you know, they saw that Dobbs was coming and it felt like they and it wasn't like they were caught unprepared because they have the playbook, you know, they, they, it feels like they're, they build up and then based on something taking place, um, I could essentially sense that they were shifting and prepared to, to, to roll and to keep providing evil um, even with Dobbs uh, overturning Roe. And from my experience, one of the things that I've, I've observed is that abortion clinics, um, I would, and I would say within two to three years, that seems like a good assumption uh, have, I would say about 60 to 70, about 70% are offering transgender services uh, with the hormone blocks and hormone ads specifically. And, but I guess what I'm curious is when you say that there were shifts in the abortion industry within the last two to three years, what, what um areas or or um reflections do you have on like yeah, what, what what did you see?
0: Yeah, I mean you hit the nail on the head. Um so I think one of the things that we've seen in the medical community as a whole is um shifting away from like the big box. And this is honestly like Industry-wide, like, if you look at all of our industries, whether it's shopping, medical, um, I would even say education, like, people are less inclined to go to the big box, and they're more inclined, like, their behavioral um, economics which is, you know, the economics of how someone behaves even subconsciously is that they want something that's going to be more tailored, more private, more close. Um, so it's instead of going, um, and taking some blood tests from my doctor, um, I'm going to take a quiz online and I'm going to have my vitamins auto, you know, sent to me in the mail. Um, it's, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shop at you know the malls. They're dying. I'm gonna go to Amazon. I'm going to. And so it's everybody's taking things really close into the home. And the abortion industry absolutely capitalized on that. They looked around and they said, you know, people aren't going to the mall. They're going to Amazon. Like people aren't going to the doctor. They're ordering their you know vitamins on a website and having it auto-subscribe. So how do we do that? and they do that through the mail order abortion. And so you don't have to go to a doctor, but you can do it in the privacy of your home. And COVID gave them, I actually think that their playbook was probably exacerbated. They saw COVID as an awesome opportunity to um, lobby for some policy changes that would allow them to, you know, probably drive that a little bit more than, you know, so while, you know, some pregnancy centers just shut down and said, Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, they were looking for the opportunity, they saw it. And we're seeing the abortion pill numbers skyrocket. Like if you look at the last five years of how many abortions are actually medication abortions, it's absolutely skyrocketing. Um, you know, and it's uh, the other interesting thing when I was looking at the Ohio induced abortion report. And obviously this is going to vary community to community, but it's interesting to me that we still talk about abortion as like a teen pregnancy problem like and the reality is is that that is not who is having abortions. In Ohio, the number one group that's having abortions is 24 and over. It's not 18 to, well, we do see that, um, you know, and so even societally, how people view abortions and the use of abortion, um, it's not to conceal and hide. There's no, there's no shame in having a pregnancy that is not inside of a marriage. And so where it used to be like people would do that because it was shameful and they want to hide. Now it's it's out of convenience and, and to advance. And so I think even the way that we view women who are having abortions, I don't know that the pro-life movement has totally caught up with the mindset and who really is looking and having abortions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it does feel like things are shifting. Well, they have shift quick. They, well, yeah, I, I'm sort of caught in a place where I, I I think of things that we're trying to do that did work and they may not work anymore. And we're trying to adjust because they may work somewhat. And then there's also some ideas for marketing that have tri- that have shifted drastically. And we need to build new programs and build new new campaigns in order to essentially to to respond to current demand. And in the and the at home abortion is probably I think the loudest and largest uh piece that needs to be addressed. And and so I feel a lot of us are working yeah, you know, we work to try and respond to the current scenario. Meanwhile, I feel like there's a playbook experience that the opposition seems to have where they they're they're lined up for like the next season while we're trying to fight the current fire or we're always trying to respond to damage done by offering healing and hope and resources and and they're the ones who are causing damage which determine where we get to go next because we're always offering a response to damage being created yeah
0: Um, i recently not i was probably like two years ago heard um roland warren who is the president of uh, CareNet, which is a national affiliation for pregnancy centers. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with Roland and he is, you know, he is definitely a forward thinking uh, leader in this. And there are things that, you know, the first time I ever heard Roland speak, I'm like, man, this is somebody that gets it. And for the first time for me as a thought leader, I was hearing another thought leader that was giving me permission to actually think outside of like the things that we've always done. Um, But Roland used the um, uh, story in the scripture about when Jesus was going to heal, I think it was... uh, Probably not the centurion's daughter. He was going to somebody's home to heal somebody, but on the way, that's where he encountered the woman with the issue of blood. So Jesus is on his way to heal someone, to minister to someone, but he still stopped and had capacity for the one that was in front of him. And While Roland was using it as an example of pregnancy center work and post-abortive work working together, um, which is a beautiful example, I think that it fits really well. And what you're saying is that there is absolutely a capacity for us to care for the ones that are in front of us, but also to be looking towards the ones that are coming, the ones that we're walking towards, the ones that we're... You know, thinking about and you know, part of that is we have to have the infrastructure to be able to do that. That's why state coalition work is so important. Um, But also at a community level, one of the things I appreciate about our leadership, and I see this happening because I, you know, I travel and I speak at pregnancy centers, uh, banquets. I've done board trainings and strategic plannings, and so I'm hopeful because I see this happening. Is It was common practice for an executive director of a pregnancy center in the eighties and nineties to not receive a paycheck. And man, when I think about some of these like heroes of the day when pregnancy center work was starting where they would show up and they would literally, they weren't paid for what they were doing. Like we are indebted to those mothers and fathers. Like they set an amazing foundation. There are still centers that are not paying their executive directors. (laughs) We can't build infrastructure treating it like an oh by the way ministry at the local church. Like, we won't see the level of innovation and forward thinkingness that we see in the abortion industry until we build organizations that have the infrastructure. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that people, we have to like, retain the top paying talent. But one thing that we've done is we've set an infrastructure in every sense of the word within our organization that attracts brilliant minded thinkers. You know, when I look at our, our center staff, like they are brilliant, but we had to build an infrastructure that attracted brilliance and talent. But then also we build our our day-to-day in a way that cultivates that. You know, we have a room in our building that is our dream room. And they have time and capacity and space to be able to get into those, that room and to be able to ask those questions. And they know, like, there's nothing off limits. Like, if you can convince me that we need to stop doing X, Y, or Z and you have the data to back that up, then we're gonna take that risk and it's paid off in dividends.
1: Wow. So you have a dream room. Tell me more we about do. the dream room.
0: So um, my favorite thing about the dream room is um, we found this massive uh, picture of like a gnarly rope bridge. Like if you think like Indiana Jones, like it's like swaying. There are slats that are missing and like, it's really scary. And the reason that that it looks so out of place in the room But it's intentional. And the reason that that is in that room is that that is what the path to abundant life looks like for many of the women that are walking into our pregnancy center. The path into an abortion facility is well lit, well paved, well funded. And that is why women readily walk into abortion facilities across this country every single day. Because the Mm. path to not just life, because Jesus didn't say, I came that they would have life. He said, I came that they would have life and that they would have it abundantly. And so we believe that a decision for life, that is the starting point. It is not the gospel until it's abundant life. And so when they walk into that room and they dream about their future here, they, they do strategic planning, they have staff meetings the central thing that I want them to see is that rope bridge because our vision is to flip that script. Like we're not a lobbying organization. We're not a political organization. So we don't have the ability to legislate the abortion industry. We're not here to shut them down. But what we are here to do is to make the path into abundant life, well-paved, well-funded, well-lit, and that's our responsibility, you know, not only to the clients that we serve, but to our community as a whole.
1: Wow, I like that. Um, so, so for those who are listening, going back to back to Ohio, um, how would you what what did you find that was encouraging, even in the midst of yeah. zero out of seven? What encouragement, um, would you say uh, you found, or Maybe another question would also be is where where were God's fingerprints in the midst of losing zero? Yeah. Out of, yeah losing, losing seven.
0: Absolutely. Like I said, I am not discouraged in the slightest. Um, and two things that stand out to me. The first is we saw the church rise up like never before. Like the pastors that were so, um, willing to talk about issue one from their platforms. I mean, when I drove, and I put a lot of miles on my car (laughs) in our state, um, the amount of, you know, signs in church yards, like political signs in church yards, like you just don't see that. Um, You know, we saw pastors, I mean, there was a, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a a letter kind of early on where like all of these African-American pastors in our state wrote a letter you know saying this is you know we don't want this and so seeing the church use her voice and this was so encouraging um And then the second, it's really the unity. You know, one of the things as, you know, we started the Ohio Coalition of Pregnancy Centers that was really important to me is that there was kind of this separation and tension between the like right to life, um, those that were fighting on that front and like the pregnancy center, like it felt like there was tension and they were at odds and they didn't understand each other the unity that we saw across the state was, was needed. Um, and it's something that we're continuing. I'm, this weekend, I'm going to have dinner with uh, state leaders that you know, we work together on this and we're continuing that, that conversation and um, that synergy that we had. So there are a host of other things, but those are the two that really stand out to me as things that are encouraging despite the loss.
1: And so for the um for the 2024 election, you know, coming down the road, what what um what what would you like executive directors or listeners to consider and think about as as um well may in their state may or may not be one of those 11 that are being targeted, but that may just be a matter of time um until their state is targeted if it's not in that next grouping so what would you like what would you encourage people to do or to pray about to think to consider to strategize on based on your what you've learned and now that people have well the current window of time and with with their team that are working on things at this point
0: yeah i think if i could rewind um for a really long time i supported and Um, you know, nodded to those that were working um, in the political realm of this, but always said, well, that's just not us, that's not what we're called to, we're not a political organization. Um, And I realized through this process that as pregnant, you know, this is for pregnancy center leaders, like we don't have that luxury anymore and if you look at what is happening in states like California and Illinois and Pennsylvania like they're fighting us politically and so we have to be able to get engaged and of course there are things that we can and can't do um but as executive directors to sit back and say you know i'm i'm not going to engage politically like there is a political battle and it it has grave repercussions on pregnancy centers. And so I think get engaged. Get people into your building now. I don't care if they have an R behind their name or a D, like build relationships now. You can't build relationships in the tension. And so get your city council members in, start building those relationships now. Start crafting that message. Show the you know the vitality of the work that you're doing both at the local and the state level, um, because you don't want to be reactive and you don't want to have, you don't want to not have friends at the city and the state level that when those times do come. And even if they're not in one of those 11 states, they, they will be, um, I think figure out and start listening to what's going on in your state now. Um, so that you don't have to get caught up later. Um, so find out, you know, Is there a state right to life group, a pro-life or Christian lobbyist group that you can get in tune with now um, in your state to really see what's going on, what's being said? Because in a lot of this, for a lot of people, it was just too late. And in Ohio, we had the lowest number uh, turnout, voter turnout than we've ever had. So Hmm. people didn't show up. And so educating people now, doing voter registration drives, now talking to your pastors. Now, you know, getting out in front of it as much as you can.
1: Yeah, those those are good ideas, and that's good advice. Um, yeah, and I, and I feel like, and really, I, I feel like um, sometimes you have to play the game as if you're at the very end before you're at the very end. You have to make your own urgency, otherwise, you'll get caught without enough time to to do the work needed. And so it's good to, uh, you know, just sort of create the, the need and urgency, even though you still have technically more time. But really, um, this is the time to play, to, to, to work. This is the time to work and getting prepared. Um. So. What what have you learned that maybe you didn't expect to learn from all of this? Like, what was an unexpected lesson or unexpected uh, an unexpected finding from from the Ohio um, from the from this Ohio work?
0: How um, important my voice was as a pregnancy center director, and so I think. Sometimes, you know, the other side of the coin is like, oh, I don't want to get engaged because I might not know enough, like I'm not politically savvy. But the thing that I heard over and over and over again as I got, you know, phone calls from people in the community, phone calls from pastors is, you know, for better or worse, like people are politically jaded right now. And they emphatically trust their pregnancy center leadership. And so I can't Hmm. tell you how many pastors would call and say, you know, I'm going to talk about it this Sunday. Like, can you help? Can you help me craft my message in a way that, you know? And so don't underestimate your voice as a pregnancy center leader, because at the end of the day, you are the one that sees firsthand the implications of abortion on our society um and that was something that i really had to wrestle with and i remember you know even the day after the election talking to a local pastor and just being so you know tearful and going i wish that people just understood like i wish that people could see what i see every single day because if they could see what i see they wouldn't and so we have a holy obligation to help build a bridge so people understand what the reality of abortion is and how it is impacting people in the community. And we see that firsthand and, you know, we have an obligation to help our community understand the reality of abortion.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's, um, that's really good. So, when it came to going to all these churches and the church and the pastors, you know, in, increasing their engagement, um, where where do you see that going into the future? Is that is that continuing? Is it is it um, blossoming into something even better?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I again, I'm so encouraged because, you know, when people say like, "Oh, you only care for the baby until it's born," like. Emphatically, that can't be said of our community. You know, I obviously don't work at the national level and in a whole lot of other communities, but what I'm seeing here in my community and across the state of Ohio is like these churches are taking up the mantle to, yes, to pray, to see the end of abortion, but also to care for these women and children. And I mean, people are giving us homes, they're upping their donations. I mean, we're seeing a huge influx of volunteers. And so, yeah, I think for me, you know, the, the Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God sets a standard. And I feel like I'm just seeing that people are so fired up in the responsibility to help create a culture where every life is valued and every life knows its worth.
1: And so when it comes to Ohio, what's the strategy to respond to this, well, this loss, this constitutional loss? What's the what's the plan going forward?
0: Um, so we definitely have a playbook. Um, you're going to see some really exciting things coming out of Ohio um, in the next couple of um, months. Um, and I won't give all of that away. Um, But, you know, I've had meetings with the governor, I have, um, you know, what I will say is you will absolutely continue to see a unified pro abundant life movement that continues to hold abortion facilities accountable and responsible for the treatment of women in our community. Um, to safeguard the life of children in the womb, um, and to promote abundant life for moms and dads and kids, and so the future for Ohio is bright. That I am absolutely convinced of.
1: Oh, that's awesome! I'm looking, I'll look forward to seeing more of that as it takes place. Um, would you wrap up this podcast with any final thoughts and then a prayer? To, with the expectation that those who are listening may pray along with you, calling out to God for the the things that you're calling out for?
0: Yeah. So, one of um, probably the most impactful things that has happened in the last couple of months through this process is um, I don't see clients um, through our pregnancy center anymore in my um, capacity. But uh, when I first came to the center, that was something that I regularly did. And Um, One of the very first women um, that I had that was abortion-minded was kind of wrestling through that decision. And on a Saturday morning, I got a phone call or a text message from her that she was actually at the abortion facility, getting ready to go through with the abortion. And um, I made the decision to... Um, go to the abortion facility and to sit in the parking lot. And I sent her a text and I said, I'm here. If you want to not go through with this, like you're more than welcome to come out. Um, And if not, like I'll just drive you home after your abortion. Um, And like less than two minutes later, she came out. She did not go through uh, with that abortion. Um, She went through some of our classes here at our center And, you know, as we can't, we can't stay with these families forever and, you know, the natural thing is is that they move on with their lives and I lost touch. So I um, am on a board for a a private school here in my community and we had our first day of school uh, this fall and our board members go to the school and we, Welcome all the new students. I like to go down to the elementary because those kids are really excited about their first day of school. The like older they get, the less excited they are for the first day of school. So, kids, you know, coming in, we're getting to the um end of the welcoming kids in and um this woman comes uh behind me. I'm talking to another board member and kind of touches me on my shoulder and I look up And it's the mom (laughs) of that child dropping that child off for their first day of school. Wow. And so the reality of the work that we do, that we show up and do every single day, is absolutely to save those precious children. But do you know that those children, they grow up? And so we're not just doing this because we love babies. We're doing this because we love lives and we love destinies. Like that little child is sitting in a school, learning who they are, figuring out their gifts, figuring out what they're good at, what they're not good at. They're making friends and they have an entire life laid out in front of them. And abortion doesn't just destroy the physical frame. It destroys that entire life. And so keep going. I know this work is hard. I know that, you know, there are days that we show up and we just don't know how we're going to do it. And we have defeating blows, you know, like we're seeing right now. But the reality is, is that for every child that's saved, that that's a life that is worth living. And so God, I thank you for every listener um, God, I pray that um, you would infuse them with hope, that you would infuse us with hope. Uh, your word says that we would have been despaired unless we saw the goodness of God in the land of the living. God, and I pray that these workers who are diligent and who are desiring to see lives saved and changed, that they would look around them and they would see the goodness Um, that you are doing, whether it's in a donor or an answered prayer or a saved child or a, a God conversation, that you would show them what they can put their hope in and that ultimately it's you. God, I pray for strategy and wisdom as we continue to advance abundant life culturally and change the hearts and minds of our culture. God, would you give us wisdom and strategy? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot
2: Insurance, and irapture.com.
1: The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of irapture.com.
2: If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at